November 9th, 2017. Welcome to Two Teachers on a Train. My name is Melanie Eisen, Associate Director for Professional Development at Prisma, the Center for Jewish Day Schools. Say that five times fast. And my colleague and partner in crime is Shira Lonstein. Hi, Shira. Hi. Hi, Melanie. This is Shira. And I don't know my title. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but why, when did we get so formal? I, I don't know. I, I think I've been traveling so much, Shira, on trains, planes, and automobiles, and saying that it's almost like my name is Melanie Eisen. <laughs> I, it, 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 there, there is no distinction between my name and my title anymore. Nice. Um, so Melanie and I have both been traveling a lot. We've been at schools all over North America. I actually just got back to the country last night, and... Um, so, yeah, we've been busy, but we've had a lot of time to uh, read. So, Melanie, what are you reading? Oh, yes. So, actually, um, I was trying to think of a book that I was reading. I, I read for the Reshet, for the learning specialist Reshet that we have here at Prisma. Um, I read a book called Instructional Coaching in Action, which is an ASCD book. Um, and I got to say, Shira, not my fave. <laughs> um <laughs> The, it, the, the structure of it is good and what we know works in terms of coaching. I think possibly it was the stories that they shared about how, you know, we all wait for those moments when either your students or your faculty or your spouse has that aha moment. And this one happened in the first debrief after the first meetup between the coach and the teacher. And I was like, eh-eh. you know, like that was just such a, I was waiting for, ready for the discourse and how the coach allowed the teacher to reflect, but it, 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 it really didn't work for me, um, which was unfortunate, but, um, um, but it, but it was laid out nicely and the structure of before, during and after and coaching was well done. Um, but there are other books to use instead of that one for coaching. I find it, found it to be, um, expensive as well, but on the flip side, I am lucky enough to be part of the eighth cohort of the Mandel Teacher Educators Institute. And we had to read, um, articles to prepare for our first seminar. And one was called the power of patience by Jennifer Roberts. And it was a very short article out of the Harvard, one of Harvard's periodicals. And, um, and the focus was on how this professor or asked her students to go and sit in front of a painting. Maybe it was at the Met. I don't remember which museum it was at for three hours. That's a long time. Like just, yeah. Um, the boy and the squirrel was the painting. I'd never heard of it. So I had to Google it and it literally, it's a painting of a boy and a squirrel. Um, and I don't remember the artist of course, but the idea was, she was like, I made my students sit there for three hours. And at first students were like, what are we going to do for three hours? But she literally wanted them to look at that painting, reflect on that painting for three hours. And the longer they sat there, the more they were able to pick up on the nuances of the painting and see things that they hadn't seen in the first half hour or second half hour or whatever. And it was just the idea that when we slow down, so much becomes available to us. <coughs> So I really liked that message. I strongly recommend the article. Be a great faculty meeting starter. And it's going to be on our show notes, right? Correct, awesome. which is on my blog page at prisma.org. Nice shameless plug there, Melanie. Um, so I... <laughs> That's where they live. Um, is, so for, for in preparation for this podcast, I actually read 
Leaders of Their Own Learning by Ron Berger, and I have read it before. Um, and it comes with a DVD, which I don't actually have a DVD player anymore, but I do remember liking some of the, um, some of the scenes on, I don't, I don't quite remember what they were. I I didn't play it again. Is Austin Butterfly in it? No, it's, is who? What? That's his thing. Oh, Austin's Butterfly. I thought you were, you, sorry, I misunderstood what you said. Um, I, I really don't remember. I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it recently. Um, but it talks about giving kids, their own voice in a classroom. And as we know, Ron Berger uh, is famous for this, but this book is actually uh, more of a teacher manual, less of a narrative about his classroom. And it's more uh, ideas for teachers to use in their own classrooms uh, when giving children voice uh, in in their own learning. And so he talks about, you know, how to celebrate learning, having student-led conferences, uh, descriptive feedback, using data with students, checking for understanding. So he really goes through different concrete steps and and makes it come alive for a classroom teacher, which which I think is you know sometimes we we read Ron Berger's work and and he tells you about his own class and it's so far from where we are that it's hard to get in there. Alaska or wherever. <laughs> he lives in he lives in Massachusetts. Um, I know, but he talks about schools that are way off in the middle of. Well, yeah, he lives in a remote right. He lives in uh, like in a rural area, but. Um, but he has a lot of autonomy, and oftentimes teachers don't have that kind of autonomy in their classrooms. Right. Uh, and so it's hard to it's hard to get from you know pretty standard classroom to where he's at. And I think that this this guide helps you uh, to take baby steps so that it's it's not as intimidating. Fantastic. Well, if you've not watched Austin Buzz Butterfly with your faculty, it's it's a must see TV thing. Um, it, it's just an incredible journey with a group of first graders. It doesn't take long to watch it, but it's very powerful. So just like we always say, watch Rita Pearson before you start your school year, just to remind you of why you're doing the work that you're doing. I also suggest Austin's Butterfly as a great video to watch um, and 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 learn from. Awesome. Um, so this week we're trying something new on two teachers on a train. We, as you know, we get lots of fan mail. Um, that's not actually true, but we do, (laughs) but but we do get lots of questions from teachers. So what Melanie and I have decided is we took three questions from teachers and we're going to talk a little bit about each one and, uh, answer them here. So the first question we got was how can I add a student voice to my high content classroom? Uh, so Melanie, you have, you have some ideas on that one? Yeah, so, um, you know, we get this question from all grade levels, actually, which is so interesting. But one that I was thinking of in particular was an upper grade classroom, um, even a high school classroom. And, you know, um, there's so much content that, you know, especially for some of these AP classes or IB classes that have to be done or, you know, regular classes in high school, that it's dictated week by week what you need to teach in order to get to that final exam sometime in April or May. So, um, you know, one idea that um, I suggested to him was, you know, as they're going through the content, how do you get their voice into it? So one thing that he was going to do with his students was um, he has them do um, reading over the weekend, and then they come back on Monday morning, and he tells them what the main topics were. And I said, why don't you... I thought what would be interesting would be if, if that is something that the kids have to come with to be able to differentiate between, you know, um, important information and, you know, secondary information. Um, and I, he was a little nervous about that because you there's literally no time to waste with this. And I said, well, once you they get used 
you're going to correct them the first time and maybe even the second time, but the more they do it, the more they're going to be able to see and differentiate what's important and what's not important. And I think that that, that, that is such a crucial step to become, um, good readers and good readers of primary and secondary sources to be able to pick out what are the main ideas the author is trying to share. Um, and so if you start with where, from their perspective, their voice comes into it, they can defend why they think these are the main points and you can guide them or add to it if you need to, but they, in essence, are building what the rest of your week study might be. Um, I love that. I, I was... I was actually also thinking about an AP class when I heard this question and I once saw a classroom, they were doing AP US history. And, and in my mind, there's like one way to teach AP US history, but this teacher actually, I mean, I should have, I should have known better. I should, I should have battlefields. (laughs) So no, but, but there was only one, one perspective. And this teacher to, went into AP US history with the with the mindset of where would your ancestors have been at this time and so she she had all of the kids thinking individually like where they came from and if their if their families were living in America at the time what that population would have been experiencing and so it really added so much of these kids into the class and they learned the exact same content but from completely different perspectives so one you know and that was their responsibility to to sort of figure out during that time period where your family or you know where your it was a much more diverse classroom um and so all the kids had had a really different uh, experience of the time period or experience of the event. And it gave them those multiple perspectives, which I thought was fascinating. That's so cool. I remember when my sons were, I think it was a grade seven project, but they had to talk about an immigrant from their family. And for those of you that don't know, or can't hear it from my accent, I am the closest immigrant to my student, to my children, because I was born um, in Canada, obviously, and came to, to the States, um, when I was uh, in my 20s, but um, they had to do a project on an immigrant from their family, and um, my husband's family um, is so goes so far back as you as citizens born in this country that um, I was too close, and they were too far back, so they picked my late grandfather, who actually immigrated to Canada, and the funniest thing was um, my son, who was 13 at the time or 14, called my dad to get the story of how my late grandfather came to this country. And the the funniest part was that my father was filling Benjamin, my son's head, with such baba mices about his late father. But it was so fun for that interaction to happen and for him to be able to go to school with a story that was probably unlike most stories of his classmates. Right. So that's just a, that's a great way to add student voice into content. Um, I, I also think we, you know, as teachers, we, we are constantly making choices. Um, and you know, even, even if there is a lot to learn, the question is like, what would happen if I don't teach this piece? You know, if I, if I go a little bit deeper into this and, skip the next thing, you know, what, what would be the consequences? Because you're, you're going to make some choices uh, and whether those choices are made for you because you run out of time at the end of the year or at the end of the semester, or if those are conscious choices. So I think that uh, even though, even though sometimes teachers feel a lot of pressure to cover everything, to go over everything, I think that, that sometimes you, you really have to stop and be, be, uh, cognizant of what you're choosing and what is going to be chosen for you based on your timing and then, and then go from there. 
A hundred percent. I think we can take a lesson oftentimes from an early childhood classroom, you know, any of those, the Reggio inspired classrooms where the learning stems from the kids' curiosity, right? Like what makes you curious about this particular project? And that's why I feel that even when you're, when you're sort of, your hands are shackled to a curriculum, there's still the possibility and schools do this everywhere of genius hour, allowing the kids to sort of take a time out from what it is they're working on as a whole class and investigate something on their own. You know, pick that one piece from U.S. history that was important to your family and learn more about it. And I think when we encourage kids to find what that it is for them, it services them for almost the rest of their lives, right? It's that pure interest in that one topic that maybe you as the teacher can't delve into as a whole class, but individually kids can take off with it. Nice. All right. Should we go on to the next question? We're going to run yeah, out of what time is it? here. So the next question is, how can I bring okay. principles of differentiated instruction into my algebra class? Good question, Shira. <laughs> that was a good question. I remember when the teacher posed it and I was like, that's a good question, right? Um, so I actually think that oftentimes we, we default into non-differentiated instruction, right? The default that we have as teachers is everybody's going to be learning X. Um, and sometimes that shouldn't be our default. The default should be, I'm going to plan with these children in mind, and I'm going to plan what I'm doing, thinking about child A, child B, and child C. And sometimes we have too many children to actually think about all of them, but you can break them into categories, uh, especially if it's a category, you know, we're going to be, there's something visual, or there's something linear, or there's something, right? Like, you, you have to sort of group your children for, for the day, for the lesson, for the unit, um, and plan that way. And I think that if you start, we're, we're all about backwards design, but I think if you start with the children, if you start designing with the children's in mind, uh, it, it might be easier to think of planning a differentiated classroom rather than trying to plan, to differentiate a plan that you already have. Right, exactly. And, you know, one part to remember about about differentiation is that it's not, you don't have, there are, you know, as you look at, as I think of the slide that I showed almost every presentation on DI, it's you can differentiate the content, the product, or the process, right, or a combination of any of these. So, you know, you might have, as we said, we, we at Prisma are big UBD fans, but so there's that ultimate goal that you want to reach, but it's the benchmarking steps along the way that you can think of how many different ways can I help them to solve this problem. I understand that there's one answer, but there are multiple ways to get there. I think there was a teaching channel video like called, um, why do I have to learn this or something like that? And it was an algebra teacher who said his students often ask him that very question. Why do I have to learn this? And his answer is, I'm not, I told you so. No, that's not really his answer. <laughs> his answer is I'm not teaching you just the algebra. I'm teaching you how to solve problems, right? I'm teaching you to be persistent. I'm teaching you to collaborate. I'm teaching you to work independently. I'm teaching you all these skills that while you might not have to remember the formula at the end of the day, but it was the way you got to the end. It was the way you tackled the problem that I'm teaching you. Right. So, so if that's true, then their needs will all be very different. And, um, that's the approach. You know, I think, uh, Similarly to the last question with the high content class, sometimes we think, you know, algebra, they have to learn this or they won't be ready for algebra two or geometry or whatever, however your, your curriculum works. Uh, but I think you also have to think like, are they actually learning what I'm teaching? 
if I'm just covering content and That's right. what, what is more important? The, mo- the most important thing is for the kids to be grasping the concept. And sometimes you have to slow down or speed up or change th- something or rethink it. Um, and differentiating, it, it takes more time and it takes more work. But I think once, especially after your first year of really thinking about categories of students and really differentiating based on their needs, uh, you'll have, you'll have more of a repertoire and you can, you can reuse those year after year. Right, for sure. And I'm going to put on the resource page, there are a few videos, particularly to algebra, um, that include the concepts of differentiation. And one is using exit tickets as a means of um, grouping your students. Um, It's a great short video. And I think that you could glean a lot from it as to, you know, the idea that especially in math, that your groups can be very fluid, right? The um, I remember sitting in math class and, and most some of the concepts were beyond me, but some of them were things that really resonated with me. And so I was more successful at them. So, but at the time, nobody knew about flexible grouping because I'm ancient, but now teachers know about it. So the idea that you don't have to stay in this, if you're grouping your students, they, the groups should be fluid. You know, kids come to concepts. Sometimes it's two or three concepts down the road that they suddenly get that aha moment and they shouldn't be you know, simply placed in one group in your classroom for the entire school year, you should always be looking to see where they are. That's a, that's a big piece of differentiation. I think that gets lost in the shuffle. And one technique that I actually use a lot in my own classroom is I'll teach a mini lesson, ask, ask clarify, you know, say children, anyone have clarifying questions and then say, if you feel confident that you can do the, the assignment on your own, please leave now. So a group of kids leave. And then I do a little bit more teaching and get another stopping point, questions, clarification. If you think that you can do the material now, go on your own. And a few more kids leave until you're left with a small group that, that needs more intensive work. And then I float around uh, between all the different groups. And they, they're all at different paces at that point because they've been working with the material at that, you know, for different amounts of time. Um, and I, that doesn't work for every lesson, but it's, it's, a, it's very easily implemented. It doesn't even take different assignments. It just takes different amounts of uh, frontal time and one-on-one time with students. And, and that's, awesome. you know, that is just one, one thing you could try. Lovely. What's our last question, Shira? Our last question is how can I bring stations and centers into my classroom? And I'm assuming this is from an older classroom because stations and centers are pretty, uh, they're used a lot in younger classrooms, especially kindergarten and first grade, etc. Yes, um, it actually did come from um, from an older uh, grade level, um, and they were kind of questioning whether or not it's worth it to invest in, in setting up stations in your classroom. And you know, I, I so many times teachers feel, and I felt certainly when I was teaching that. I am the owner of the information and the kids have, I have to give it all over to them in the same way or, or they won't learn it. And so just as we were, ta- we've been talking about differentiation and helping the kids find their own voices, having stations, different stations in your classroom to help them interact with the material in a different way um, will be tremendously helpful to you and to your students and enable all everybody to delve a little more deeply into each subject. It builds on their independence. So when people think stations, they think block center and housekeeping center. But that's not what we're talking about here. So if you think about taking one activity or one um, concept and breaking it down into three different ways, each of those ways can become its own station. And teachers will say, well, I don't have room in my classroom for it. And I say, well, that's where your walls become your best friends, right? And there's one teacher that I work with in Montreal who who did that. She 
the stations became p- posters on the wall. And they, they, there were so many kids in our class, it was too tight to really create pods. And so the kids would just literally move from one space on the wall to the next. And it became a gallery walk for them too. And so the kids were owners of the information and really owners of the material. Right. And I think this, this goes back to, to differentiated instruction as well. It gives you, if, if you have different centers going on, one center can be completely independent. One center can be group work and one center can be teacher led. Um, and you can, your kids can be divided into thirds. You can, you can either choose them or they can be random choices. Um, and then when they come to you, they, they can be doing completely different things. They also can be doing different things at each center. The, the independent one can be everybody's doing something different. The group one could be different groups are doing different assignments. Uh, but, but it's a way to, to, to think about it. And I think oftentimes uh, teachers would say, you know, I only have 40 minutes. How can I do centers? And, and children don't have to get through all of your centers in one day. It could be a week-long process. Uh, it could be, you know, two class periods, three class periods, where they, they rotate through the, the centers during different times. Uh, and, and, you know, there are creative ways to think about scheduling this as well. Right, exactly, exactly. So the idea is not to get stuck on, you know, when we started, Shira said that this is for preschool or this is for kindergarten or first grade. Imagine what, you know, when you involve movement into your classroom, how much more effective your lesson becomes and how much more manageable your students become when there's some movement involved in it too. So we'll put some links up there as to different ideas for both gallery walks and um, centers and stations for you to play with in your own classrooms. And I'm going to make another shameless plug. Melanie and I are both teaching in Montreal at the BJEC Day, and we're we're talking about how to set up and plan your classroom time so that uh, classroom management does not become a burden to you. That you know, there's there's no such thing as management; it's only good planning. Um, and I think that some of these strategies that we mentioned, all three of these questions are really good strategies to help you maintain a, a flowing classroom. When you think about what are the students doing. You know, what is student A doing? What is student B doing at this time during the day? It really does help to uh, make your classroom flow and, and be a collaborative environment where kids are learning and you're able to teach. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, all right. Melanie, I think we are out of time. Hey. But listeners, we are happy to be back here. It takes us it, it, scheduling. This is hard for us, but we're, we're glad that it's it's still a priority. Um, and keep on listening. Let us know if you have any more questions. Cause I, I think this format worked well this time. Me too. Right. So we shamelessly steal questions when we go on, uh, on our tours and go to our individual schools. Um, but, um, but you should feel free to write them in to us. Um, and our producers will, will somehow, uh, <laughs> sort through all the mail that comes to us. Um, and, and make sure that we get to your question too. So if you're going to be at Beach Act Day in Montreal in December, come say hi. Um, where else are you going to be, Shira? Um, I don't know. I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going everywhere. I'm going to LA. I have, wow. a, I have a busy winter coming up. How about you? I hear that. Yes. Um, I'll be at the Ruderman Summit in a couple of weeks in Boston, which is where close to where Shira lives, which is cool. But we want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving um, and possibly Hanukkah if we don't get another episode <laughs> before that, or maybe that will be our, our Hanukkah gift to you. So uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Yeah. Bye.